0: Thank you, praise team. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Glad that you're in the Lord's house. You glad to be here? Yeah, yeah good deal. Well, I, I knew from the first service that, uh, you know, the crowd may be low in second service as well, but you know what? I'm, I'm looking at it. The best people are here. All right. All right? Isn't that right? Hey, man, I'm glad you're here. I'll tell you where everybody is there in Hot Springs uh, at the lake. I, was, I drove through Hot Springs yesterday, and let me guarantee you, everybody was there. Yeah? Or maybe Branson, I don't know. But you know what, I'm glad you're here today. I'm doing a a series through the summer on the parables that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Luke. I really didn't expect it to go this long, Jason. But man, there are some awesome parables that Jesus spoke. And so today it is sermon number 7 on the parables. We're in Luke chapter 15. I actually introduced Luke chapter 15 last Sunday. Uh, We talked about... God looking for those who have left home, those who are lost. And Jesus told us in verses 1 through 10 of Luke chapter 15 that the most distinguishing characteristic of God the Father is this. God looks for lost people. All right, And he told two life stories to convey that. The first was of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep out in the field. And at night, as he was counting them, he noticed that one sheep was missing. And so he left the 99 and went out and found the one lost sheep. And Jesus said, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who is lost that is saved than 99 who don't need to be saved. And then he told the parable of the lady who lost one silver coin in her house. And literally, she turned her house upside down until she found that lost coin. And when it was found, she threw a party and invited all of her neighbors. And and Jesus said, when one lost person is found, there is rejoicing in heaven over that who, those who are lost. So here's the deal. Whether you are one out of ten or one out of one hundred, if you are lost, God is looking for you. Yeah. Jesus continued that same thought when he went to verse number 11 in Luke chapter 15. Now he tells the story about the lost son. This parable is a long one. In fact, it goes all the way through verse 32. So I've, I've kind of broken it down. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the first part of the parable today, leaving home. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about coming home. And then the third Sunday, we're going to talk about misunderstanding home. So this is one of three. You know what that means? You've got to come back the next two weeks to hear the rest of the story. So let's talk about leaving home. Here's what it says in verse number 11. Then Jesus said, and remember who he's talking to, all the way back up in verse number 1. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because they're ticked off, they're mad, because Jesus is spending time with tax collectors and sinners. He's not only hanging out with them he's eating with them as well and they can't comprehend this why why is Jesus spending his time with sinners and scumbags and so Jesus is telling three parables of why he's doing this because God sent him to seek and save those who are lost all right so the third parable then he said a certain man had how many sons too. Don't forget that we always talk about the younger one. Uh, the third Sunday, I'm going to talk about that older son. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, what are the next two words? What are the next two words? We're not going to go on until everybody says the next two words. Give me. give me. Father, Daddy, Daddy, give me. Give me is what he said. How many of you daddies have ever heard that from... Daddy, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them, really to both of them, his entire livelihood or his estate. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, or as some of the newer translations say, with wild living. But when he had spent everything, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Why? Because he had blown all of the money. Then he went and joined himself, literally the word means glued himself, to a citizen of that country. And the citizen sent him into his field to do what? Feed swine. swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the... Pods that the swine ate. Why? Because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and I love the newer translations that say, when he came to his senses, eh? when he woke up, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise... And go home to my Father. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and now the preaching of your word. Lord, help me to convey what I've studied this past week. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak it into our hearts. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who is away from home, I pray that they would come home today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you a picture. Whenever I see... uh, Posters like this, let me tell you, it breaks my heart, doesn't it yours? Whether, whether it's a missing person's poster of a small child or in this case, a teenager, it just rips my heart out. Why? Because that's somebody's baby. That, that's somebody's kid and, and they've gone missing. This, this is a picture of a beautiful young girl named Carly. She's from Bishop, California. Uh, last year, 2018, she was 16 years old and she went missing. I, I don't know the story. I don't know if she was abducted. I don't know if she was a teenage runaway, but I do know that she's a, she's a pretty little girl. She was five foot seven, 105 pounds. Uh, she had blue eyes, uh, dirty blonde hair, and she was last seen in her hometown of Bishop, California, wearing a white shirt and gray sweatpants. But she's gone. Did you know that the National Teenage Switchboard claims that there are 1.6 million teenage runaways every year in America? Let let me rehearse that number again. They say 1.6 million teenagers in the United States run away from home every year. That is concerning, church, is it not? In fact, that is epidemic proportions. And and I don't know if my friend Carly here was abducted or if she ran away. But I do know in the story that we read from Luke chapter 15, we have a runaway teenager. A young man who ran away from home. And and I I don't know this, but, but I wonder when I read this passage of Scripture, if there had been a bulletin board in the town... Square of the village of the parable that Jesus spoke of. And I've wondered if this father, in anguish and distraught, yet still hoping, may have tacked up on that bulletin board a runaway teenage poster that said, Missing, Benjamin Bar Rubin. (laughs) Just gave him the name, huh? Male, Hebrew, last seen third Nisan, traveling down the road to Diaspora, carrying all his possessions, height just under four cubits, dark hair, dark eyes. Church, this may be the greatest short story ever told. It's a story about someone. It's a story about everyone. Literally, it is a story about us all. And the storyteller, he's the best. Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us that we leave home when we think that life is getting away from the Father. The first part of this parable gives us insight as to why we leave home spiritually. Any of us could make the decision that the essence, that is the real meaning of life, is to get away from the Heavenly Father. Let me just do a quick time out because I don't want to lose you through this sermon. How many of you have ever ran away from home? If you ran away from home, lift up your hands. Come on. Come on. Come on. Be honest. You ran away from... I I don't know if my parents even know this, but I ran away from home. Do you all know that? I was just a little boy, in Midland, Texas. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was, Wes. I, just, I was mad because they were treating my sister better than they were treating me. <laughs> I was mad because, you know, they had a heavy thumb on me, and I got a whipping every single day. I, I don't know. I was mad for some reason. I don't know why it was. I was just a little kid, but I decided I was going to run away. I don't, I've never told them this, I don't think, but I did. I, I got my canteen that my granddad gave me. I had a canteen full of water and a a sack of crackers. (laughs) And I hightailed it out of there. We lived out in the country in Midland, Texas. Surrounding us were just cotton fields. And I started the trek across one of these cotton fields. I got in the middle of that cotton field. I sat down and I started eating crackers and drinking my water. (laughs) And I decided, you know what, this is crazy. (laughs) So I went back home. But anyway, I did run away. any of us in this room, could make that decision that the essence, the real meaning of life, is to get as far away from the heavenly Father as we possibly can. And in this parable, the younger of the two sons demands from his father his share of the estate. That is, he understood that the essence of life is in the immediacy of fulfillment. For he said in verse number 12, give me. Daddy, give me. In other words, he is saying, Daddy, I want it all. I want everything that is coming to me. I want it all, and I want it right here, and I want it right now. Give it to me, Daddy. This boy in question is probably somewhere around 17 years of age because we do know that Jewish young men usually got married between the ages of 18 and 20. In Jesus' world, a father could divide his estate before his death. The younger son would receive two-ninths of the entire estate. That's somewhere around 22% of the inheritance. But here's the hitch. If the father were still alive, the son could possess his part of the inheritance, but he could not liquidate it or dispose of it, until his father had died. In this story, though, the boy wanted to have it all, right here, right now, and he wanted to dispose of it all, to liquidate it. He wanted to treat his father as if his father were already dead or non-existent. It didn't matter to this young man that this would cost him all future claims to his father's estate or his father himself. He wanted it all. He wanted it right now, right here. Give it to me. He wanted life not only in its immediacy. He wanted life in its totality. He wanted all of it. He reminds me of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember Eve? Do you remember? Remember? What did Eve have? Her and Adam, they had everything. They had that entire garden. All the trees were theirs. Trees for shade, trees for food, trees for fruit. God said all of the trees are yours except for just one. And which one did she want? (laughs) She wanted the one that God said you cannot have, and she wanted it right now. I think all of us can be that way. Look, look, let me stay back. All of us have been that way, haven't we? Yeah. With the stuff in life. We want it all and we want it now. We've bought into that, that old slogan that the devil originated. You know the slogan. I can remember it on a TV ad. I won't say the ad's name. You only go around once in life. Grab all the what? Gusto you can. And for us, the gusto is getting everything we can from the Father and then getting away from the Father. I think most of us are like that lady who wanted desperately tickets to My Fair Lady when it was uh, coming out first on Broadway. And so she bought tickets for her her husband and herself. And and the first night of the performance came and the theater was packed. and, And there she was, but there were five empty seats next to her. And the theater was full. These tickets were expensive. And and so the people behind her just couldn't stand it any longer. And they tapped her on the shoulder and said, I I can't help but notice there are five empty seats by you. And she said, oh, yes, my my husband died. And and they gave their condolences. And after they gave their condolences, they said, well, we're sorry, but couldn't you have given those tickets to friends? She said, oh, no, they're at the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was funnier when I wrote it down. <laughs> but isn't that just like us? Isn't it? What we want, we want now. Right now. All there is right now. Despite, despite his sons treating him as if he were dead, the father in Jesus' parable gave the boy what he wanted. He gave him his share of the estate. But you know what? Isn't that just like God? You think about it. Isn't that like our Heavenly Father? He lavishes us with gifts. Right. Amen. He showers things down on us. Health and home and wealth and family and friends and enjoyment. He gives it to all of us. Even when we're standing at the door ready to walk out. Psalm 145 verse 9 says... The Lord is good to who? Us all. He's good to everybody. And He has compassion on all that He has made. Whether you're a saint or a sinner, God is good to people. Why? Because He created them. Acts ten thirty four. God shows no partiality. He, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He maketh His Son to rise on both the evil and on the good. No, the Father gave the boy his share of inheritance with no strings attached except one, and that was his love. That was his love. You, you compare that to some of the crazy strings that are attached to modern-day wills? Have you heard any of these? I, I read a story about an old geezer granddad. He was old school man, lived out in California, but he was still old school. Had three granddaughters, and he left them literally millions of dollars with the following stipulation. They were to receive their money passed out annually at the first of the year if if they did what he said they were to do. And that is this, none of those girls could ever cut their hair, especially Bobbitt. No, he wanted their hair long. They could not wear makeup. Powder, rouge, lip, eye, no makeup. They could wear no jewelry. They could go to no movies. And their dresses had to be long at the bottom and tall at the top. I, I don't know if they bought into it or just went poor. I don't know. I don't know what happened to them. Or what about the English uh, wealthy Englishman? He had two nephews that he left millions of dollars to with the following stipulation that they wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and exercise rigorously for three hours. And if they did, they would get the money. Or what about the millionaire who left a huge sum of money to the Metropolitan Opera with the stipulation that they put on an opera that he had written? The problem was it was an awful opera. And so the Met declined. No, this boy in our story wanted it all, and he wanted it right here, right now. And the Father gave it to him. Jesus goes on to tell us that the essence of getting away from the Father is in an urgency of independence. Verse number 13 says, not long after that, not long after he was given the money, what did he do? He left home. The inheritance literally was burning a hole in his pocket. And, church, listen to me. When we decide to get away from the Father, there is a hellish haste about us, a ruinous rush. As we run down that road to destroy our lives, there has already been an inward separation between this boy and his father. Now it becomes an outward separation. And when we decide that life is away from the father, there is of necessity a haste, a running away, a frenzy, Perhaps perhaps it's that way because we've realized that in truth there is only life with the Father and death away from Him. Well, all of this naturally leads to a desirability of distance. Verse number 13 says that this boy set out for the far country. He wanted to get as far away from the Father as he possibly could. reminds me of Jonah in the Old Testament. To get away from the father's care, the father's restraint, the father's protection and boundary is the beginning of insanity in our own lives. When this boy left home, he alienated himself from his past, his family, and everything that was real in his life. Later in this parable, Jesus only uses six words to describe this young man's sin. And what were those words? Jesus said he squandered his wealth in wild living. And that's all Jesus said about it. Listen to me. There are no lurid details about how many women he slept with or about how many parties he went to or about how much alcohol he consumed, or about how much money he lost gambling. For Jesus, the essence of sin is not all of that voyeuristic detail. Instead, the essence of sin is when we think that the essence of life is to get away from the Father. Jesus came to tell us life is with the Father. You have life when you have a relationship with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Death is away from the Father. You may think that the worst thing you can do is some specific heinous sin. That's not really the case, at least in the beginning. No, spiritual suicide consists of this, in wanting to get away from the Father... In turning your back on God and going the other way everything else just follows right. hmm. so this boy took it all and he went to the far country it, it didn't take him long for point number two to hit the reality of what life is really like when you're away from the father Now let me tell you something, church. Life away from the Father does not begin with dullness. No, the devil makes sure it's fun at the beginning. It begins with a frenzy of activity. The wild living in verse number 13 literally means not to save. And this young man was reckless. He was extravagant. He did not save a cotton-picking thing. His life was a whirlwind of excitement and vitality and energy. He had appointments to keep. He had deals to make. He had people to see. All in an endless dizzy excitement. The devil makes sure of that. You see, life away from the Father begins with busy vitality. And and I would emphasize to you again that Jesus did not give details about this boy's sin. Now let me look at you. Okay. We would like that, wouldn't we? Ah, wouldn't we? <laughs> We, we would like for Jesus to be specific because we like that, man. We, we like to hear all the gory details of everything. But, but Jesus did not do that. Why? Because Jesus refused to lend reality to that which is ultimately unreal. Amen. And hear me when I say sin is like a black hole in outer space. Sin is like the Bermuda Triangle. It is unreal and is extreme. You continue to pour stuff into that black hole, but you can never fill it up. I'm here to tell you only life with the Father is real. Satan's stuff is temporary. Life away from the Father continues with a loss of resources. Verses 13 and 14, he wasted his possessions in wild living. He wasted the entire estate. All two-ninths of however much it was, he wasted. Verse number 14, when he had spent everything, he spent it all. Are Are you hearing what I'm saying? He went there with a ton of money, riding his Camelac. He spent it all. Every last penny. I've seen shows about this, people who who win money in a lottery and then they just spend it all recklessly. I I read about athletes who get rich instantly and they don't know how to save their money or use their money and they end up dirt poor. You've heard of these stories. I want to tell you one that, that really happened from a long time ago. William Tronzo of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania was making $7,000 a year in 1974. Again, that was 1974, but that, that, that's not a lot of money in 1974. At 49 years of age, he found it very difficult to feed and clothe his five kids plus his wife and himself. They lived in a one-room rent house, barely making it from day to day. And then he won a million bucks. <laughs> well, let me tell you, his life changed overnight. The next day, he went out and bought diamonds for his wife. Diamond rings, diamond necklace, diamond bracelet. He bought himself a Thunderbird, brand-new T-Bird, 1974 T-Bird. Always wanted one. Now he had one. He bought six TVs. Never had a TV. He's got six of them now. And he put them in his new house, which had belonged to the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He did all this in two weeks. At the end of the two weeks... He discovered he was $30,000 in debt. <laughs> now, $1 million in 1974 is equivalent to $5 million today. He had spent all of his money, and now he was in extreme debt, which led to extreme psychological difficulties. But let me tell you, life away from the Father is like that. Life away from the Father burns up our resources. It burns up our time, our energy, our willpower. They all burn up when we run away from the Father. I say it like this, the devil will use you and then he will abuse you. Life away from the Father ends with degrading despair. Look at verse 15. Then he went and joined himself To a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed his swine. When all of his money ran out, literally he glued himself to a citizen of that country. This citizen didn't even want him. But the young boy realized, I don't have anywhere else to go. And so he glued himself to somebody who didn't even want him. Now, let me back up just a few weeks before this. He had plenty of friends then when the money was rolling. He had all kinds of friends. But when the money was gone, they were fair weather friends. No, his real friends were back at home with the father. This kid had nothing, so he glued himself to this citizen who sent him out to the back 40 to feed the hogs. That was his job, to feed swine. This was the most degrading thing that a Hebrew boy could do. The Hebrews hated swine. They called them Debar Ekar, which means the other thing. And for this boy to feed these swine, he was now fulfilling an, an unclean occupation, He was forfeiting his religion. He was forfeiting his church. There was no more Sabbath days for him to keep. No more kosher food for him to eat. And I don't know how you feel about this boy, but no matter how you feel about him, verse verse 16's got to break your heart. It tells us that this boy would have been glad to have filled his belly with the carob pods that the swine were eating. Why? Why? because nobody gave him anything. Church, can you see the condition that the devil leaves us in when we get away from the Father? Look at me. Everybody look at me. This boy had just hit his chin on the last rung of life's ladder. He was as low as you can go. And you might say, that's a terrible thing. No, it wasn't. It was a good thing. Because this kid, had to hit, he had to hit rock bottom. Problem with a bunch of your kids is you don't let them hit rock bottom. And, and I know that's a sermon that I need to preach some other time. But you know what? God lets us hit rock bottom sometimes because sometimes you can't look up until you've hit bottom. Verse 16 is sad, but I'm so glad that verse 16 exists because of verse 16. We've got verse 17. After he hit his chin on the last rung of life's ladder, verse 17 says, when he came to himself, new translations say, when he came to his senses. Don't you like that better? (laughs) When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And here I perish with hunger. I don't know if you remember the car developer John DeLorean. you remember that name? John DeLorean. He he reached international fame through, through his car development, but then he lost it all in a conviction of, of selling cocaine. Right after he was convicted of dispersing cocaine, he got saved. And I can remember this hitting the news. Everybody was questioning his turn to Christianity and his salvation. But here's what John DeLorean said about that. He said, foxhole conversions are legitimate. Think about that. Foxhole conversions are le- legitimate. He said, just read the Bible. <laughs> Most of them found in the Bible are just that way. When everything you ever wanted is happening in your life, you're not inclined to reassess your priorities or to examine your spiritual values, so said John DeLorean. But when your life falls apart and you lose everything, you will reassess your spiritual life. When we start to come back to the Father, we, we understand The insanity of life away from God. This story turns on the words when he came to his senses. And the words suggest, listen to me, waking up from a trance or waking up from a spiritual coma. To a large extent, physical comas are a mystery to us. Several years ago, a team of doctors came up with the Glasgow Coma Scale. Based on eye, verbal, and motor responses, they assign a number on the scale to comatose patients. Did you know that 40% of people who remain in a coma over 24 hours die within two weeks? To be in a coma for several weeks and then come out of that coma is rare. It does happen, but it's rare. Even more perplexing to me than a physical coma is a spiritual coma. When we're like this boy, When we're in a trance, when when we are in a spiritual coma away from God, if you were to have signed this boy a number on a spiritual coma scale, I would think he would be at least an eight, maybe even a nine. And can I tell you, it is a sheer act of God's grace when a person wakes up from that kind of condition. We start home when we... Deliberately move from lethargy and despair when we say, as this boy said, I will get up and go home. Did you hear that? I will arise and go to my father. (laughs) Look at me. I don't understand this. But I'll tell you this it's God's doing, it's God's movement. A spark flashes, a a flame blazes, a pulse beats. And there is spiritual life where there was no spiritual life. Spiritual sanity came when this boy remembered that even the poorest servants in his father's house were living a better quality of life than he was. And this was the crucial moment. When he came to his senses And he did something about it. When he came to himself and when he moved. Let me tell you, this was the moment to get up. This was the moment to go home. On March 11th, 1984, in the Westman Islands off of Iceland, the 74-foot fishing trawler called Hellesee was hit by a maverick wave. And it capsized. All the crew perished but three men. The water was a frigid 41 degrees and two of the men sank within 20 minutes. The third, good logger Thorsen should have died himself. But he made history. He should have died like the others from hypothermia. Because you see, when the body temperature reaches 93.2 degrees, blood flow to the brain slows down and you become lethargic. You don't want to do anything and you eventually fall asleep and die. But he didn't do that. He was in the middle of water, but he moved. He swam for six hours. He didn't stop swimming. Breaststroke, backstroke, side stroke. For six hours he swam and he swam and he kept swimming. Finally, his eyes caught the shore, and there was a voice inside of him that said, Lie back and rest. You've earned it. But a stern voice of reason spoke up and said, If you go to sleep now, lad, you'll never wake up. And so he kept swimming. Can I tell you, sometimes coming back to God is just as dramatic as waking up from a spiritual coma. And that's where some of you are today. Let me tell you, it's time for you to come to your senses. It's time for you to wake up and make your move back to the Father. There's someone in this room who's never been saved. And there is a spark that is flashing in your heart today. There is a pulse that has begun to beat. And God's Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself. You need to understand there is no life away from the Father. And the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Would you come to him in salvation today? I'm not letting the rest of you off the hook, okay? I don't know the percentage, have no idea what the number is. It could be 15%, it could be 50%. You know what, it could be 90% of us in this room who say we're Christians who say we love the Lord, who come to church every Sunday morning, but there is that one thing in your life right now. You know what it is. You you know what it is. That one thing that is pulling you away from the Father. That one thing that you have said yes to in your life that is dragging you further and further and further away from God every day. And it's because you won't come to your senses and because you refuse to say no to that one thing that you are on the why, Road that is leading you further and further and further away from home. And right now, the Father in love is compelling you to come back to Him. You may think enjoyment. And satisfaction and joy is found in this one thing that is pulling you away from God. But let me tell you, there is only blackness and darkness out there. Life is with the Father. And he's calling you home today. So would you get up, just get up out of your mess and come home today.